We live in a tumultuous time. We have seen things change in such a drastic way, so many drastic ways in the past even two years that life today is nothing like it was just a few years ago. It's difficult sometimes to keep up with the way things are going. But I think there are a couple of things that we can all agree on. First, religion has gotten a bad name. Many people, even Christians, especially Christians, have tried to soften what it is that we believe by saying we don't have a religion, we have a relationship, which sounds really cool and really warm and fuzzy. It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. In fact, many well-known speakers, well-known Christian artists actually put down the word religion. Using the word religion is a bad thing. It has changed meanings. It is a bad thing to be religious in the Christian world, or at least that's what we're told. That's the first thing that I think we can all agree on. You don't want to call yourself religious because if you call yourself religious, you're looked down on. The second thing that I'd, that I'd like for us all to think about is that there's a general coarsening of society, that people in the world and people in the church have actually become more coarse, more crude, more aggressive, more angry. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So buckle up. This is going to be an interesting ride. I'm Michael Land, and this is Landline. Our main scripture passage today, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Some very interesting things. And these two verses that I'm going to focus on today are so packed with details that you could spend a year, literally a year preaching about it and never run out of topics. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I want to talk to you a little bit about these these verses today, because I think there's some important things in here that we really need to focus on. First of all, it talks about anyone who thinks he's religious. And honestly, I think that's what people are talking about when they uh, when they lambast the word the word religion, when they when they cast it down. I don't want to be called religious. I want to be in a relationship. And don't get me wrong. I understand the concept of it's not a religion, it's a relationship. However, that's wrong. It's wrong. It's false. It is a religion. Christianity is a religion. By all definitions, it is a religion. Now, the Bible says to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, reprogramming, rewiring the way we think. 
doing things differently than the world. Everything about who we are and what we believe has to be different than what the world is and what the world thinks and what the world believes. So I'm going to ask you to be patient with me as I step on a few toes here because I know that some of the people listening to this podcast today have embraced this concept of religion is bad and you don't want to be religious and it isn't a religion, it's a relationship. A lot of you have the t-shirt or the bumper sticker or whatever. Let me tell you, t-shirt and bumper sticker and meme Christianity is not accurate Christianity. You can't sum up Christianity into a soundbite. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's far too much truth and there's far too much nuance and the, and the language has been changed and warped in so many ways that we're not able to condense our belief system into one or two sentences that could be posted online on a meme or that can be put on a bumper sticker or worn on a t-shirt. So we don't, we don't follow t-shirt Christianity. We don't follow meme Christianity or soundbite Christianity. We take into consideration the entire word of God. If he could give it to us in one sentence, he would have. I truly believe he would have. But he didn't. What he did is he gave us 66 books with which to mold and to shape our lives and to mold and to shape our way of thinking. There's a reason for that. Soundbite theology is flawed theology. Now let's get back to what we're saying. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, my friends, our society, our culture has become more coarse, more aggressive, more angry. In fact, at the risk of offending some of you today, I'm going to say this because it's true. The church at large has elevated people, has celebrated people because they speak their mind or tell it like it is, even when they say things in harsh, ridiculing, angry ways. We've become more angry. We've become more aggressive. We've become confrontational in unhealthy ways. I work very hard to avoid political topics in life in general, but especially in ministry. And there's a reason for that because our politics are very divisive. There is a concept that says the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so we embrace anyone who opposes the things that we oppose. This makes room for political pandering. This also makes room for us to embrace people and ideas that are unhealthy for Christians to embrace and to elevate people whose personalities and attitudes fly in the face of everything we are taught to be scripturally. Remember, we're renewing our minds. We're challenging our own way of thinking right now, okay? So before you get angry, I want you just to be intellectually honest enough to think about what I'm saying. We've elevated people to great power, religiously and secularly, because they 
are quick with cutting comments because they are able to insult people. Some of the people you listen to on a daily basis on talk radio or on your news channels are the worst of the worst. They can't speak someone's name without attaching an insulting adjective to it. They make up names for people because it's witty, because it's creative, they think, because it's, it's, it, it, it's memorable and it fits their political agenda. But they're insulting people. If you can't say someone's name without insulting them, then it's you who has a problem, spiritually. If you are entertained by barbs and, 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 and sarcasm and snark and cutting comments about people, then it's you who has an issue, spiritually. It is you who has sin in your life. I'm not going to make any friends by saying this. Jesus, the one we are supposed to emulate, never told us to be insulting. He never told us to be verbally aggressive with people who disagreed with us. In fact, let me tell you this. The only people that Jesus was ever verbally aggressive with were the religious ones who claimed to know the truth, but who didn't live it out. The people that disagreed with Jesus, the people who were unbelievers, he was gentle and he was loving and he was compassionate with. He also didn't spend his time debating politics. He also didn't spend his time insulting people with different political ideologies. You see, because Jesus recognized that his citizenship, as is ours, is not of this world. It is elsewhere. It is of the kingdom of heaven. And though there are important issues to debate, though there are things that we need to discuss, that there were, it's important that we vote, and though it's important that we are involved in our culture, it is also even more important that we represent him because we are ambassadors of Christ. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ and everywhere I go, everything I do, and whether I'm, whether I'm talking to someone face to face or whether I'm online typing out my little response behind the anonymity of my keyboard, I am a representative of Christ and I serve at his pleasure. Hi, this is Nolan. You're listening to My Dad, Michael Lamb. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. We do this podcast and everything else we do so we can reach as many people for Jesus as we can. Dad also writes a bunch of stuff for different ministries. God is helping us to reach people all over the real world. And we're really glad that you're here. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. That really helps us out. Did you know that we're making videos now? We're even building a YouTube channel. You gotta check it out. If you like what you hear, why not support us? Dad will tell you later how to support us. God bless you and thank you for listening. My name is
If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. I want to talk about that a little bit today. The most difficult thing that we seem to find is bridling our tongue. Oh my goodness, it's so easy to slip into just quick responses to people. Quick emotional responses, visceral gut instinct. Let me, let me just say a couple of things to you that are not popular today. Sarcasm and snark is only meant to be destructive. Sarcasm and snark is only meant to belittle someone. And it is not for the child of God to celebrate, oh yeah, I'm just a sarcastic person. I used to be that guy. And I'm trying really hard not to be that guy. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's destructive. And how can I represent the God who loved people enough to send his son to die for them if I'm going to rip them to shreds and take pleasure in completely eviscerating someone online? Oh my goodness, we argue. We argue and we debate constantly. And that's all we're good for is argument and debate Let's get to scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is awesome stuff. Now listen to verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word Write this down. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. Think about what this is saying to us. Therefore, putting away lying. Okay. We know lying is bad, right? Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm challenging you. You challenge me. We are accountable to one another. We are all part of one another. We're members of one another. Now listen, we talked about how society is angry these days. You drive down the road, you can be doing absolutely nothing, and people become angry and incensed at you. You turn on your blinker, you wait two seconds too long at an intersection, you drive at the speed limit, no matter what you do, you wear the wrong colors, you drive the wrong kind of car, you have the wrong color skin, people become angry with you for no reason. The Bible talks about righteous anger. There are things to be angry for. There are things, when I think about abortion, when I think about the the taking of innocent life, when I think about injustices to people, when I think about hatred and biases and things like that, there are things to be angry about. But the Bible says to be angry, so that's okay, Be angry, but don't sin because of your anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Don't dwell in your anger. Don't stew in it. Don't stay in your anger. People who stay in their anger stay angry because they want attention. They want people to know they're angry. And they want to elevate themselves because of their anger. You will notice me because I'm angry with you. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, The church at large needs to focus on this verse. We need to paint it above the doorways to our congregations. We need to wear it on on t-shirts. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, for teaching, for growth. Edification is an important thing. Bible saying, if you don't have something important to say, keep your mouth shut. Don't let any corrupt speech come out of your mouth. If what you're saying is not important, and if it's just so that you can be seen or heard, if you're just trying to let people hear your voice, keep your mouth shut. Because anything I say that is my opinion is corrupt. Anything that I say that is just my emotions talking, that's corrupt. That goes away. But the word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of my God shall stand forever. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if it doesn't edify people, why say it? If it doesn't build people up and draw people into the kingdom, why are we talking? But what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers? Is what you're saying imparting grace to people? Wow. I think I don't even need to go there because that is so convicting to all of us. Is what you're saying imparting the grace of God to people? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I find it, find it fascinating that right in the middle of talking about what we shouldn't be saying, it says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God. But we forget that we're grieving the Spirit of God with our attitudes, with our words, with our approaches to people. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here we go. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You don't think it's malicious to try to negatively impact someone's emotions with your sarcasm and snark? You don't think it's malicious? Malice? to insult people and call them names? You don't think it's malicious to sit at your computer and to try to try to hammer somebody online because of their political beliefs? You don't think that's malice? You don't think that's exactly what the Bible's talking about? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Many times over the past few years, the past four years or so, when God began an in-depth surgery on my soul in regards to this topic, I used to be one of the most politically divisive people you could imagine. I have a fairly strong command of the English language, and I loved, I relished using that strong command of the English language to eviscerate people in debates about political matters, earthly politics. And over the past, now five years or so, God has been sawing away at the very fiber of my being, convicting me of attitudes and actions that have been destructive for a very long time. And I'm going to challenge you today because in Titus chapter 3, it says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men. Oh my goodness, my wife used to get so tired of this. In the middle of the night, right before bed, I could, couldn't even go to bed on time at night because I'd get so involved in, in some ridiculous argument about politics and it's it, and, and, and making my point and winning an argument. I had to win the argument. I had to win. I couldn't go to sleep yet. Oh, just give me a minute. Just, just, I can't have a conversation. Just give me a minute. Oh, he did not just say that. 
And I argued and I debated and I came up with ways to insult people and I came up with ways to use long words to to show them my intellect and say, oh, no, 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 you don't know who you're dealing with. And I was not peaceable and I was not gentle and I certainly didn't show humility. Do you realize that the urge to win an argument is nothing more than pride? Throughout scripture, the Bible talks about pride and never in a positive way. If I have to best you in an argument, then I am filled with pride and that pride is destructive to me and it's destructive to you. And it's idolatry. Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, whether we like them or not. And that's not just a line that we are to use on other people when a candidate we like won the election. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. All? Does that mean, yeah, my buddies, my buddy Mike Jackson, I just love him. We agree on everything. My buddy Scott Lewis, we just, but this other guy, uh, I don't like him. He's a jerk. We disagree. He's stupid. How many times do we insult people because they look at things differently? Does that show humility to all men? Is that peaceable? Is that gentle? Or is that speaking evil? Which it is. Verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Listen to this. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. One of the most difficult things that we find is the difficulty in bridling our tongue. Our main text says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, you think you're okay and does not bridle his tongue. I love horses, I love riding horses. Once in a while they get a little too rambunctious and you have to kind of rein them in, pull it back, slow it down, remind them who's boss. On a daily basis I have to do that with my tongue. I have to stop myself, retrain myself. Whether it's gossip, whether it's hateful speech, whether it's backbiting, whether it's anger, whether it's snark and sarcasm, I have to rein it back in. Whoa. My wife is the most incredible person I know. I love her to the ends of the earth, but we're both human and sometimes we disagree. I know it's a lot to admit, right? Quite often she's right and I'm wrong. I'm just going to throw that out there. But when you get into a debate, especially with someone we feel either we don't care about at all or 
someone that we love and we know loves us and so we're safe. We feel this sense of safety in saying things that we wouldn't say to other people. Sometimes it's easy to slip into cutting remarks, biting sarcasm, saying things to people because we know they have to forgive us. She loves me and I'm so thankful she does because I don't really deserve it. And I have been known to slip into sarcasm, things that were kind of backhanded insults or sometimes not even backhanded insults, just straightforward out and out cutting remarks. James chapter three says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Ouch. I used to know a guy who was a youth pastor when I was a very young minister and worked alongside him for a while. He says, you know, Satan has a counterfeit for everything. And, you know, when you're, if you're ever witnessing to someone or when you're preaching, when you're, when you're sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit anoints you. And a lot of times, and if you've never had this happen, you just need to step out more and, and, and minister to people because it will happen. The Holy Spirit will fill your mouth with the words to say. There's a lot of times if I'm preaching that at the end of it, I think that wasn't in my notes. I never intended to say that, but God will guide your words and he will speak through you in such a way that you will say things that you didn't even think in advance to say. The Holy Spirit's anointing is great that way because I'm not that smart. And he will use me to say things that I didn't intend to say. My friend used to say, The devil's counterfeit for that is when you're in an argument and you get angry. And as you get angry, stuff starts to bubble up and you find yourself running off at the mouth saying things that you never intended to say, hurting people in ways that you never intended to hurt them and and wounding them deeply and not even thinking in advance, but this stuff just comes out and afterwards you're like, yeah, yeah, that was good. I really, I can't believe I said that, but that was really good. And you just revel in that, uh, that anger. And he said, that is the counterfeit for the anointing of God on your speech. The devil is filling your mouth with vile things. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature. So much destruction. This is fascinating, this next line. And it is set on fire by hell. Our tongue is a powerful force and it must be controlled. When the Spirit of God lives in you, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against which there's no law. When the Spirit of the Lord dwells within you, these things will automatically start to grow and manifest themselves in your life. These are the areas that we need to work on, ladies and gentlemen. First Peter 3, 
beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Ladies and gentlemen, our nation, our society, our church risks the face of the Lord being turned away from us, being turned against us because we speak evil, because there's evil in our hearts, because our tongue is set afire by hell itself. I'm preaching hard today. I'm teaching hard truth because we need to renew our minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, the reprogramming, the reshaping, the changing, the reorganization of thought, the renewing of our minds. And now, I want to talk about religion. We've talked about speech because that was pretty heavy in that first verse. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. I don't want my religion to be useless. But I also want to know what religion is. Verse 27 of James chapter 1. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. That means it's good. It's real. It's legitimate to be religious. What? Changing your thought processes. What do you mean? I can be religious. You must be religious. But you must know what religion is. That's why it says right here, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Do you realize that we are commanded to help others? It is not optional. We are commanded to put our hands out and touch people's lives. We are commanded to serve those in need. We are commanded to make a difference in this society, not by our political activism, not by posting things online and saying, oh yeah, I agree with this talking head, or oh yeah, I agree with this politician, or oh yeah, I'm against this. That's, that's meaningless, that's drivel, that's garbage. Doing something, put your hand to the plow, make a change, a concrete change in someone's life, thereby making a concrete change in your society. Change your culture, not just by political activism, but by actually living out the word of God. It's become so popular along with saying religion is bad. It's become so popular saying that, well, it's lifestyle evangelism. I, I just live as a Christian. Yeah. And you don't speak the truth. And you certainly don't speak in love. 
pure and undefiled religion is before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, helping those in need, putting your hand out there and actually doing something concrete and tangible for people, serving God by serving others. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Pastor, what's my purpose in life? To fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is why you exist, to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. He sees it all. He knows it all. He hears it all. He reads it all. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your Lord? Do justly. Well, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal. Okay, good. Do you stand up for those who are oppressed? Do you treat people justly? Do you prefer your neighbor above yourself? Do you do justly? Do you love mercy? I read an article online the other day about a, a, a someone who was convicted of a crime. And... Even some of my Christian brothers and sisters were posting, well, it serves him right. I hope he rots in prison. He deserves the death, the death penalty. Do we love mercy? Or do we celebrate justice when it applies to someone else? Because believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, we all deserve death. We are all depraved. We have all sinned. We have all offended God repeatedly and seriously. And we deserve punishment. But we don't want it. We love that mercy. We just don't like it when the mercy applies to someone we don't necessarily like. It's so easy to see other people's sins and not see our own. Do justly. Love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. I have nothing good to offer. I have no positive attributes. The only positive in me is him. The only good in me is him. And the only thing that I can boast about is how great he is. Because I know my weaknesses and I know my failures. I know my, my incompetence. I know my sins. And so does he. And he loves me anyway. And I need to walk humbly before him and to walk humbly beside him. And when people see me, they need to not see, well, he won an argument on Facebook. They need to see. He is humble. 
And he didn't try to push one over on me. And he didn't try to tear me apart verbally. And he serves God. We need to walk humbly and do justly. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 33, it says, And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In the Jewish cultures, burnt offerings and sacrifices were a huge deal. They were important. They were commanded. But what's being said right here is that to love God with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your soul and with all your strength, actually wouldn't take any strength not to do anything, right? To love God with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And finally, Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I challenge you today to swim against the current in a culture that is obsessed with verbally eviscerating other people, in a culture that is obsessed with focusing on divisive issues, in a culture that is obsessed with the idolatry of political debate, in a culture that is obsessed with elevating people who insult and ridicule others. I challenge you today Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You are called to love. In James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What are you doing to help those who have less than you? We are commanded to help those less fortunate than ourselves. We are commanded by God to help others. I believe that when we stand before God, there are going to be many people who think they have done great things for God because they've gone to a big church, because they've sang pretty songs, because they've worn fancy clothes, because they've gone to all of the potluck dinners and all, they've, they've been in front of many people who have done nothing of any tangible nature to help people. The vision of Foundation Christian Ministries is a hands-on ministry. It's what we do. We touch people. That is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. That's what you were called to do as a follower of Christ. And if you're not doing it, rethink, reapproach, and get busy. Don't just help the people who sing your praises. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble 
keep oneself unspotted from the world. My final point today is to ask you this question. How are you keeping yourself unspotted, unblemished from the world? Are you entertained with the things that offend God? Are you entertained by the very sins for which Christ died? Is that the kind of entertainment that you put into your mind? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is this the stuff that entertains you, or is it the murder and the violence and the, and the, and the swearing and the sexuality and all the things that offend God? Or are you filling your mind with the things of God? Think, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to wear the jersey and pretend to be on the team, then you've got to know the playbook. And this is the playbook. And this is what you need to be putting into your mind. This is what you need to be filling your heart with. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The time for playing church is over. Okay, let's be real. The time for playing church never existed. We just fell into that habit. The time for being transformed by the renewing of our minds is here today. Father, it seems the most difficult thing for us to do is to tame our tongue. We insult. We debate unnecessarily. We get snarky and sarcastic and cutting in our comments. We isolate people and alienate people by the words that we choose. We don't bridle our tongues. But your word tells us to. For without bridling our tongues, our sense of religion is useless. All of the singing and shouting and all of the jumping up and down and all of the, 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 the fancy things that we do in our churches is useless because the church has chosen to not bridle our tongues, to not become uninvolved in those debates and those confrontations and those conversations. Yes, we are called to speak the truth, but we are called to speak the truth in love. The two cannot be separated. Father, forgive us. Renew our minds. Renew our hearts. That we will begin to just exude love. Exude joy. Exude peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. That because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, this would be the fruit that people see in our lives. Not one of those things, but all of those things. May we represent you as ambassadors called to spread the kingdom of God across this world. Let us be effective and not useless, as your word says. God, help us have a hands-on religion, a religion 
that makes a change, concrete, tangible change in lives, in culture, in society, changing nations for you, not through political debate, not through political activism, but through spiritual activism, living what we've been taught and sharing through our actions as well as our words. Guard our hearts, guard our tongues, quicken our minds that we will know before we speak what is that good and right thing to say that will represent you well. I pray in the precious name of Jesus, change me, renew my mind. In Jesus' name, Amen.